No one likes to feel stuck, especially by your cloud. But the IBM cloud is the most open and secure public cloud for business. It can manage all your apps and data anywhere. Smart loves problems. IBM, let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash flexible. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schaap. These days, when you talk about college football and its history, and we're talking about it a lot now, the 150th anniversary season of college football, two of the names that always come up, of course, Paul Bryant and Nick Saban, who each have won six national titles. Of course, Bear Bryant won't win a seventh. He's long gone. Uh, died shortly after coaching his last game at Alabama almost 40 years ago. But Nick Saban's still very much a part of the conversation. And those two coaches are the subject of a new book by our old friend, the very gifted writer, Lars Anderson. His newest is Chasing the Bear, How Bear Bryant and Nick Saban Made Alabama the Greatest College Football Program of All Time. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show, he's a frequent guest on Feinbaum, of course, as well, the one and only Lars Anderson. Lars, thank you for being with us. Jeremy, it's so good to be back with you. Thanks for having me. Lars, uh, you know, it seems like this is obviously a natural fit for you. Uh, you've written so much about Alabama in the last several decades, so much about the college game in general. Um, how did you decide to, to, um, to write this book in this way, comparing and contrasting, emphasizing the similarities between arguably the two greatest college football coaches of all time? 2007, Nick Saban arrived in Alabama, and I had moved to Alabama from New York City, where I had lived for 15 years, uh, shortly before Saban. And I covered college football for Sports Illustrated, among other sports, and I wrote several stories on Nick, uh, including cover stories. I wrote a book called The Storm in the Tide about the impact of the tornado that ripped through Tuscaloosa in April 2011 and, and the impact that had on, on the town the team, and especially Saban. And so as Nick was getting closer to winning his sixth national championship and tying Bear Bryant, the, I really became interested in perhaps pursuing a, a dual biography of the two coaches. And what I do is try to present it in a way where they're side by side. Uh, the, the connective tissue, the connective DNA between the two really is, is Bear Bryant's grandson, great-grandson, uh, Paul Tyson, who uh, Nick recruited and and is now on the team, and that is sort of the opening scene of of the opening scene of the book is is the the grandson of Bear Bryant and the funeral procession of 300 cars going from Tuscaloosa to Elmwood Cemetery in Birmingham, and then getting all the way to sort of Paul Tyson stepping on campus. But from there, I examine. Uh, Bear Bryant, as he is in his car, in his Cadillac, with his wife at his side, his dog in the back seat, and his young son in the back seat, rolling into Tuscaloosa in 1958 and trying to capture in real time his hopes and fears and dreams and what his plans are for building Alabama into a winner. Next chapter begins with Nick Saban in the back of a private jet with Alabama Athletic Director Mal Moore leaving South Florida. Some Dolphins fans would say fleeing South Florida, but but leaving South Florida on the back of the jet, in the back of the jet, and 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 creating again in real time what Saban's hopes and dreams and fears were, and how he was going to rebuild Alabama. And from there, the narrative toggles back and forth between uh, Bryant trying to build a winner, 
Saban trying to build a winner. Bryant winning his first national championship. Saban winning his first national championship at Alabama. And by putting them side by side, you, you really see the, the similarities between the two. And then they're much more profound in the differences. Their personalities are totally different. But uh, the, the similarities are so striking. They both grew up in rural areas. Both knew the value of hard work from a very young age. Paul Bryant, uh, he tended mules at his farm, tended to the mules at his farm, getting up about 3.30 in the morning, make sure the mules and the, and the other animals had had water and food for the day. And by the time he would get to school, he would just be covered in dirt and sweaty. And by his own admission, he didn't smell well. The other kids made fun of him and that he developed a deep inferiority complex. And he was able to sort of extinguish that feeling once he stepped onto the football field because he was so much bigger than everyone else. And And he used football as a means to improve his own life. And that would be a scene that he would... Uh, he would share with recruits when he would b- bring them into Tuscaloosa and bring, go into their homes. And he was able to relate to recruits on, and, and their families at a very sort of basic, uh, profound level. And Saban grew up in rural West Virginia uh, at age 11 or 12, began working at his dad's service station, pumping gas, doing grease jobs, cleaning windshields. And his dad just demanded that everything be done to a, quote, standard of excellence. And that meant all the windshields, when by the time that he was done washing those windshields, every, every, every millimeter of that windshield had to be free of debris and any sort of, any sort of uh, clutter on, on that windshield. And today you hear Saban use that phrase, standard of excellence, more than any other. And he, he repeats words that he learned from his father. Uh, and, both, and both Saban and Bryant, they both lost their dads at age 46. And I think that infused in both of them a sort of sense of urgency to get things done in their life at a relatively young age. It, it made them very driven because they knew from a very young age just how vulnerable and fragile, fragile life is. And, you know, both of them, the, the, the shadow of their fathers is still with them very much. And especially with Nick, whenever he talks about his dad in a, in a press conference or to a reporter, you really should pay attention because he's saying something very profound usually. We're speaking with Lars Anderson about his new book, Chasing the Bear, how Bear Bryant Nick Saban made Alabama the greatest college football program of all time. But as you were just hearing, it's also a book really about these two remarkable men who made such huge uh, impressions upon uh, college football, the history of the game, each having won six national titles and counting for Nick Saban. Um, but you mentioned how different their personalities are, Lars, because when I think of the two, I never knew Bear Bryant. But of course, um, like everyone else who follows sports, I grew up hearing stories about him um, and the larger than life uh, personality, the um the way that people cowered in his presence. Nick Saban, a, a different physical presence, a different kind of personality. I wouldn't necessarily think of them, as you said, uh, they are dissimilar in that respect. As big as Bryant's personality was, how do you describe the more technocratic Saban? I, I think, Nick, he comes off as distant and often disinterested in social settings. You know, he, he'll be looking at his watch. If he's sitting down, he'll be tapping his right foot, looking like a man who has places to go and, and people to meet. 
and he's not great in 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 group dynamics you know he's not great at making those interpersonal connections and and whereas Bryant you know he and I got this from Bruce Arians the head coach of Tampa Bay who I I wrote a book with Arians he was and Bruce was on Bryant's final staff at Alabama and 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 BA always marveled that that Bryant knew the biography of of everyone in the building from the secretaries to the people cutting the grass and if someone was having a bad day he would go and he would just have those magic words to brighten their day and by the way speaking of a of a towering presence uh, it's been written many times that John F Kennedy when he met Bryant he was one of the few times in his life that he was actually nervous before meeting a person uh, but with with, uh, with Saban, you know, in talking to assistants who have worked for him before, Jim McElwain comes to mind. Jim was his offensive coordinator for several seasons and uh, went on to become the coach at Florida. And McElwain said in all of his time with Coach Saban, they only had one conversation that wasn't about football. So with Saban, it, it's all about business. You know, his days are so structured. Every minute of every hour is planned. Uh, he is by far the most prepared person, not just coach, but prepared person I've ever met in my life. Very few things surprise him. You know, I don't think he was surprised at what happened in the national championship game against Clemson. I think that's why you saw him on the sideline being being somewhat uh, looking accepting of it. It was as if he saw this freight train coming at him and and he had sort of spoken in metaphor about the problems that that team last year was having. And so, uh, but when Saban goes into a, what makes Saban, what distinguishes him as a recruiter is he is able to make connections with the family because he is so prepared. Alabama does what's called a, a seven deep dive on every, every pr- prospective recruit. And it's almost, it, and that means that they talk to sort of every key person who touches that recruit's life before Saban walks into the living room. So they'll have prepared a, an FBI like dossier on that kid and and on on the family and and say if the if the mother is an interior designer Saban will brush up on interior design and comment with the intelligence on on the curtain rods you know it, it's really stunning uh, the the vastness of Alabama's recruiting operation and the amount of uh, almost intelligence that they gather before they actually make the the visit and it's so impressive and Saban. And, and Brian, I think, had that unique ability to make young kids feel like they're the most important person in the world in that moment when they are giving them the recruiting pitch. Lars, um, in the interest of full disclosure, you you might be a little biased here, you know, in, in terms of your Alabama connections. Is that fair to say? I am. I, I am. I, I fully admit, and I, I try to. I make people aware of this. I'm not hiding the fact that I am on faculty at Alabama. <laughs> Alabama pays me a check every every month. Uh, it should be noted, however, I grew up in Nebraska, and the reason I ended up in Alabama was because I followed a girl uh, out of New York City. That was about the only way I was going to leave New York City, but it, but it, it's worked out wonderfully for me personally. When you say. Um, declaratively, Alabama is the greatest college football program of all time. Um, is it something you, you even have to like in your own mind carefully consider way, you know, there is that place in South Bend, Indiana, you know, we all know of, um, you know, there, there's, 
Columbus, Ohio, and there's there's Southern California, there's Norman, Oklahoma. Is is it even debatable? Is it prov- uh, provocative, or is it simply in your mind something like no doubt? I think it's provocative, and it's it, it, it's definitely subject to a, a barroom debate, but I, I think you have ample facts on your side if, if you're arguing Alabama, which is what I do in, in the book, just in terms of national championships, one, and I think just on, on impact on, on all of college football and the landscape of college football, I think if you just go over the last 75 years, what's been the most talked about program in college football – I would argue it's Alabama over Notre Dame. I would say Notre Dame is probably second. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly subject to debate. And, and you know, you can, in the, in the same de- you can have the same barroom debate as who, who's a greater coach, Bryant or Saban. And depending on which facts you want to present, you could, argue, you could, you could argue successfully sort of either one. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't, have a declarative answer in, in the book. I think if, if Saban can win that seventh national championship, I think the arguments would be more compelling for Saban over Bryant. Um, and, and another interesting question is, you know, just in terms of will, who will Alabama fans revere more 50 years from now? Will it be Bryant or Saban? And it, my gut tells me it's probably going to be Bryant just because of uh, he was he was in Alabama longer. And, uh, and, and just, again, had a unique way of connecting with the fan base. And, and also it's one of those things since we're, you know, we're talking about comparisons and they're both, you know, on the Mount Rushmore and we're talking to Lars Anderson about his new book, Chasing the Bear. It's a little bit to me, although the guys I'm talking about now are exact contemporaries, kind of a Jim Calhoun and a Mike Krzyzewski. You know, one guy creating something from scratch, one guy building on a tradition that already existed. It hadn't uh, reached that kind of apex, but Alabama football pre-Bear Bryant had a history, but Nick Saban got Bear Bryant's history and tradition and some of um, what had been built up by Bear in his 20 years at the school, 20 plus years in the school, whereas when Bear Bryant gets Alabama in 1958, what, what was the history of Alabama football? How how um how did it compare to the great programs in the game? The, well, they the the apex was uh, under Wallace Wade and winning the 1920 Rose Bowl, where uh, Alabama went out west for the first time and and uh, and was able to to uh, defeat Washington in in the Rose Bowl and, and win their first national championship. And, and that game was so important historically because the, the post-World War I economic boom did not hit most part, many parts of the South, including Alabama. And Alabama was having racial issues, civil rights issues, and a lot of the country sort of looked down upon Alabama. And um, it was almost like Alabama was a different country away from the United States. <clears throat> and... I think that's one reason why that the Alabamians, people in Alabama, invested so much into their football team because you, they could say, look, you, you, the rest of the country, you might do everything better than us. The one thing that we have is football. And it, to that, that mentality, I think, still exists to a degree today. And that's why there's so much pride in, in, in Alabama football and, and just why – you know, on the day before the Super Bowl, 
all throughout Alabama, people are not talking about who's in the Super Bowl and who's going to win the Super Bowl. It's how how is recruiting going, you know, for Auburn and Alabama. It, it's it's I grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I thought Nebraska fans were the most passionate in the country, and you know they have a sellout streak that goes back to the 1960s, but it, it just pales in comparison to what exists in this state. And I think it, it's 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 wrapped in in the history of the state and 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 just the 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 again the 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 social issues that they've had the racial issues throughout the past and and uh and it has just sort of uh galvanized everyone behind this team because it's such a point of pride and has been a point of pride at different points in history when things weren't so great in Alabama and the South. We're speaking with Lars Anderson about his new book, Chasing the Bear, How Bear Bryant and Nick Saban Made Alabama the Greatest College Football Program of All Time. And I was thinking about Bear versus Saban, um, uh, their legacies, um, the way that people kind of cherish them. And, and, and I was just going to offer up an observation, Lars, and get your thoughts. It seems in this day and age, 2019, in the age of every game being on TV and every press conference being covered to a fair thee well and everything, every move that somebody like, like Sabin makes being covered, it's impossible to be as big, to be as mythic, to be as big a legend in the age of constant exposure. And that no matter what Nick Saban does, you can never approach that kind of Hollywood, John Wayne, um, the scarcity factor of, of, of Bryant's era and what it was to be, um, a heroic figure in those days compared to now. That, that the constant exposure, um, equates almost to kind of a smallness now. And Nick Saban's not small, but compared to what, what those guys were, a Rockney or a Bryant, you know, the other names that get thrown around. Can any can anybody live up in this day and age with the scrutiny and the attention and, and everything that I was just mentioning to a Bear Bryant type figure? No, it, it, it was really, no, absolutely not. And it was so interesting in really delving into the Bryant portion of this book. With Bear Bryant, the facts don't sit still because there's so much mythology wrapped around him. And I was reminded, the first book I wrote with uh, your former colleague at ESPN, Chad Millman, uh, Chad and I wrote a book called Pickup Artists. We, we, we wrote a book called Pickup Artists, and uh, we were talking about a dunk by Earl Manigault, right? A New York City street legend. And we quote this guy saying, it was the best dunk, and the dunk occurred up at, uh, at Rucker Park in, in, in Harlem. And we quote this guy saying, it was the best dunk I ever saw. And I was in Philadelphia at the time. Right, right. So and that's the way it is with Bear Bryant. Everybody has their own version of Bear Bryant and their own stories. And they'll tell you that they were his top confidant. And it's just, it's so hard to weave through the, the mythology of, and, and I think Bear even contributed to it himself by sort of inflating some stories, even in, in his own biography with uh, John Underwood, who I have so much respect for, a uh, former Sports Illustrated writer, that he, who he, Underwood and Bryant collaborated on a series of stories in Sports Illustrated, and then Underwood wrote his, uh, wrote his book. 
it, it's just hard to wade through everything. And, and what you do as a reporter, Jeremy, as you know, you just you almost, you're almost like a juror at a, on tri- at a trial, and you just weigh the preponderance of evidence, and you go with what you think is right. But it, it's hard to cut through that. But I, I but but so Bryant, you know, he, he's just he it's he, he is he's in our imagination as that as as the sort of figure that made John F. Kennedy nervous in the Oval Office. You know, uh, out in out in California, hanging out uh, with 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 John Wayne, and uh, with with Saban now that you know with coach everything in general. Uh, given the proliferation of of media and social media, it's just hard to be mythic. It's hard to be larger than life because everything uh, the media coverage it sort of brings. It, it it humanizes uh, everyone, and you know everyone's faults are are exposed. Everyone's weaknesses and frailties are, are exposed in a way that they weren't when when Bryant was coaching. You know, Bryant uh, liked to have a good time. It's no secret, and he, and, and he drank too much at times, and and that really wasn't reported because he was buddy buddy with the reporters. When he unveiled uh, and, and and kept in secrecy. Uh, the wishbone offense that he unveiled in 1971 against USC in the season opener, uh, a reporter from the Tuscaloosa News found out about it and was thinking about writing about it. And Bryant called him into his office and put his arm around him and said, you know, we're all on the same team. And, and that reporter didn't write about it, you know, and today that would have been tweeted out in a heartbeat without a second thought. So it's just different times we live in. Lars Anderson's new book is Chasing the Bear, How Bear Bryant and Nick Saban Made Alabama the Greatest College Football Program of All Time. Lars, we hope you sell a lot of books, and uh, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, me too. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Lars Anderson.